Sports are such a big part of all of our lives. From the big plays to the unforgettable games, they continue to inspire us in unimaginable ways. But what happens to the athletes, the warriors, and heroes of our time when the game is finally over and the sport they love and work their entire lives pursuing greatness at continues on without them? How do they cope with the transition? How do they find purpose, reclaim their identity, and work towards a vision of the future? As a former professional athlete, playing in the NFL for eight seasons, I know the unique challenges that these athletes face. On this podcast, these athletes will share their stories and how they navigate life beyond the game. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Life Beyond the Game. Got a really incredible guest today. His name is Bob Wilkie, and his story is really heavy, to be honest. It, um, what he's been through, you know, both personally, professionally, uh, he's a former athlete. He played in the NHL, had a very successful career, um, up and down, uh, but he went through a lot of challenges and he talks about this story that really defined his life uh, for a long time. I think it was 16 or 17 and he um, was traveling with his team, his hockey team at the time, and they ended up getting in a bus crash, um, which a few of his teammates passed away. One of them took his last breath right in front of him and just you know, when I was listening to him share, it just really hit me heavily. Um, and you know, that was not it that happened in his life. He actually went through a lot of different challenges. Um, but it's really beautiful. The story of resiliency and strength and courage it took for him and the things and the lessons that he's gone through in his life to step into what he's doing now, which is providing, um, tools, content, community for um, people to help them wake up and find themselves. Uh, it's called I Got Mind. You can check it out at igotmind.ca. We talk a little bit about that and definitely dive deep into his journey um, and how he navigated, you know, not only the transition out of sports, but, you know, the life that he lived um, and he's in a really good spot now, really showing up to be of service. And there's a lot of value in this conversation we had. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have him on and share his story. And uh, really looking forward to hearing your guys' thoughts. Um, if you like this podcast, please review it, rate it, share it with your friends. Um, send me a message. Love to hear from you and reach out to Bob as well. And we talk a little bit about community in this uh, episode. And if you are a former male professional athlete, check out the Heart Collective. Uh, it's a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes. Go to theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com. And we're actually working on creating a lot of really cool content that's not just for the community, but for a anybody pretty much. Um, a lot of courses and masterclasses that we're going to be putting together. So go to the website, put in your email address so that you can stay up to date with what we're working on. And if you're a former athlete who's looking for support and community, no matter where you're at on your journey, reach out to me directly or apply online at theheartcollective.com. Also, if you haven't already, check out my other podcast, Quantum Coffee. It is a lot of fun. Uh, put out weekly episodes there. 
And also really excited about the new podcast I'm coming out with my wife, Sarah. It's called Love and Life. Uh, season is live. So go check it out. It is a chronicle, uh, full season of how we met during quarantine, fell in love, got married, have a baby on the way. Uh, our entrepreneurial journey. We're working on the second season right now, which is going to be the home birth. And it's just a really cool audio experience. It's very unique as far as podcasts go. Um, I don't think there's anything out there like it. There's like sound effects, storytelling. Um, yeah, really beautiful. So go check that out. You can go to loveandlifepodcast.com, L-O-V-E-N-L-I-F-E podcast.com. Check it out. And I look forward to, to hearing how you, uh, how you enjoy it. I'd love to hear your feedback. And also my wife's company, Grow Motely growmotely.com. If you are looking for full-time remote work or you are a small to medium-sized business, go check it out. It is going live very soon. Um, I use it for my company to find employees and there's a lot of really cool culture building tools on there and HR. Um, you know, as far as um, payments and benefits and all this really cool stuff that she's working on. So go check it out, growmotely.com. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace. All right, Bob, what's up, brother? How you doing? You're great, Joe. I'm super excited about the conversation we're going to have here today. Yeah, I think it's going to be really impactful. I'm really stoked to dive into your personal story. I know you've been through a lot. You've shared with it very brief, shared it with me very briefly, but I'm excited to kind of dive into more detail and share um, you know, your passion and what you're working on now. So it's really exciting. So why don't you just introduce yourself to the listeners, um, who you are, and then we can kind of dive into a little bit of your your athletic career um, and the journey you've been on. Uh, very good. I'm Bob Wilkie, um, 52 years old. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Like every kid that grows up in Canada, you know, you have the dream of becoming an NHL hockey player. And I was very fortunate, you know, I fell in love with the game, uh, everything about it at a very young age. And, and I was able to work hard and pursue it and, you know, develop skills. I was blessed with size, um, really worked on my talent and abilities. And, you know, by the time I was 16 years old, I was playing at the highest level. I had, uh, you know, reached all the goals that I had set and was playing, you know, what they call major junior hockey in the Canadian hockey league here at 16 years old. And really interesting time, you know, uh, it was mid mid eighties and, uh, feeling really good about everything played my first year dealt with my first long-term injury. Um, at the end of the year, I was ranked to get drafted into the NHL, um, projected in the first round of the 1987 draft was, Oh, you're a badass, huh? Yeah. It was, was thrilled to death. And, you know, it was really interesting, Joe, because I think as we talk here, you know, transitioning and, and, and accepting change, when I went into training camp as a 16 year old, I was a big rugged right winger and actually made the team as a defenseman. So, um, you know, playing in a position that I didn't know, um, had no experience with and to come out at the end of the year being ranked to get drafted, um, you know, in, at any level was, was exciting. So 16, just turned 17, um, start the next year, ended up getting traded, you know, so that was, a, a pretty dramatic, um, time in my life, having to move away from everything that was comfortable, my family, my friends to move to this little town called Swift current in the middle of Saskatchewan. That's about 16,000 people. So, you know, Calgary's a million to go to 16,000 was quite a culture shock. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I think, you know, like every, every athlete out there that's had to make that choice to leave, I think, you know, you go through that transition of struggle and how do I fit and and how does this work? And, you know, so that was really difficult. I had a great family that I live with that, that really helped me. Um, and it was Christmas time before I really felt like I had kind of got my feet underneath me. The projections were still, you know, in the first round of the draft. So, um, was real happy with that. Lots of stress, lots of pressure. Um, and, you know, after Christmas came back and, and we had a bus trip to, uh, Regina, which is a couple hours away. It was our first trip after Christmas. Everybody was excited as we usually are. And, um, five minutes into the trip, uh, my life, you know, took a dramatic turn where the bus went off the road and crashed and killed four of my teammates. And, um, you know, I watched one of my teammates take his last eye in breath and, at 17 years old, that's not something that is, um, you, you ever think about in trying to reach your goal of being a hockey player that you'd have to deal with. And it, it, it changed the future of who I was and and the path that I was going to be on. Um, the depression started, the, the nightmares started, the, um, you know, PTSD, what we know now, we didn't know then. So really, really struggled the second half of the year. We took uh, 10 days off as a group and and came back and started playing right away. Um, no therapy, no, you know, support, no psychologists. Um, it, it turns out, you know, years later, we would find out that our coach was uh, molesting some of the players on the team. Um, so he didn't want any support in there because if they found out what was going on, then he would be found out. So um, you know, we had to deal with a very uh, toxic environment. He was not a good leader. Um, what I've come to learn is, you know, the power differential that uh, Graham held over all of us was uh, terrifying. You know, he was threatening. Um, he was judgmental. He would roast you in the press. And, you know, young guys just don't know how to deal with that. And parents don't know how to support that. And so, you know, it caused a lot of damage. And I ended up getting drafted 41st overall at the end of that year. Um, and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, Joe. And, you know, that was the hardest part is, you know, you, your whole life, you work toward this and, and it's this final moment where it's, you, you finally receive the acknowledgement and, and I didn't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, you know, really struggled, the alcohol really kicked in, um, to try and help with the nightmares. Did you play for a, did you play for a year? When you got drafted, how long was your career after that drafted moment when you finally realized this is not what I want to do? Uh, well, I, I had to go back and play two year, two more years junior. So quit, came back, quit, came back. You know, there was three or four times where I left and said, I just can't do this anymore. And everybody in my life was, you can't quit. You know, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. So obviously you keep going because you don't know what the hell else to do. And um, the last year in Swift Current, we actually um, were the were the best team in Canada and, and ended up winning the championship called the Memorial Cup. You know, two years after we went through that disaster, so it was it was a lot of learning that went on in those those couple of years. And I was fortunate to turn pro at twenty, and I played ten years pro, mm. um, won a couple more championships, played a little bit in the NHL, the majority in the minors, riding the bus, and. Um, yeah, continuing to battle with the addiction. And um, so this was something you know, that you were struggling with your entire career was trying to battle with, you know, this, this crazy event that happened. And I mean, when you were sharing that, it was just, I felt it in my body. Like I can't imagine something like that happening, especially 
as an athlete playing 16 years of football and getting on so many buses and something just happening like that. Um, I mean, how do you, how do you unpack that? I mean, it, it's obviously something that you're passionate about working through now, but like take us through that journey of, you know, playing with that and how that affected your actual play on the field was, you know, what's coming to me is maybe the play on the field was an actual escape for one of the only moments in your day that you can actually escape that story. Right. Cause when you're out playing, you can just go into that flow state and not worry about all this stuff that's going on externally. And I do want to dive into, um, the identity of our family and friends that kind of get lost in the identity of who we are as well. And the transition that, that we face there, cause that's not a lot talked about a lot. And I don't think a lot of people understand that really too, but take us back to that event and how it's affected your entire career and how you process during the time and maybe some of the tools that you wish you would have had. You know, it was extremely impactful because, you know, not 10 days after the accident where your life changes, you got to get back on that bus that, that, you know, was the trauma. So, I mean, that was huge just every day, just trying to be comfortable getting on that bus. And, you know, every time you feel that, that little feeling like you did during the accident, you know, you're popping up. So, you know, it used to be easy to sleep on the bus and, and relax, but, you know, every day after that was just completely uptight you know, watch it better. Did that ever get better as your career went on or every time you, do you still feel that when you get on a bus? Yeah, I still, I still have a hard time getting on a bus. Yeah. What was, what was the actual thing that caused the accident? If you don't mind me asking. Just, just an icy road. Just really? back in Canada. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it went yeah. off the side and just. We were, we were coming over a, a train bridge. So we, we were quite high up and, and what happened was the bus just kept sliding. And so the embankment was quite large, you know, a hundred feet and, and it wasn't straight down, but it was. And so that accelerated us. And, and what happened was there was a farmer's approach road. So as we went down the hill, picking up that speed, we hit that approach road and just sailed. And, and the last thing I really remember is seeing everybody's heads floating, you know, and, and what happened was my, my teammates who were sitting right next to me, who all, all passed, um, they hit their heads on the luggage rack and, and that's what broke their neck. So two of them had broke their neck. And then, you know, Chris, uh, Antica, we called him chief. He was the toughest son of a bitch I had ever played with. Um, he was trapped underneath the bus. So, you know, from, from here to here, um, the bus was just crushing him. And, and that's, you know, that's the last thing I kind of remember about that whole incident. So, yeah, every day I got on that bus, man, that, that was my flashback. Every time I closed my eyes at night, that was the picture I had was Chris reaching out to me, um, you, you know, for help. And, and there was nothing I could do. Oh man. That's yeah. stuff, man. Um, so take us through how that, that impacted your play. I mean, obviously you were still performing at a high level. Um, you know, crazy. Yeah. He, you, know, you go out and you're getting two, three points a game. We, we made the playoffs that year. Um, Did that fire you I mean, up personally as far as like your performance on the field, playing for those guys, knowing that they can't play anymore? Like what was that personal story of how you kind of alchemized that? Even if you didn't know how, I'm sure there was a way that you had to figure it out and channel it into something, right? That's what they would have done. You know, that's what we kept telling ourselves is that's, that was the meeting after, you know, should we continue on or should we not? Like, should we stop? And, you know, it was unanimous. Like they wouldn't have stopped. They would have wanted us to keep going. So let's keep going. And it didn't make it easy, Joe, by any means, but yeah, you absolutely use that as motivation. And, and the time on the rink, you know, at the rink was, was the best, 
that's when I felt the best. The minute that I left, it all came flooding back, you know, and um, again, you know, with the coach being just uh, one of the most evil people that you could imagine in charge of young men, um, he, he didn't make it easy just coming to the rink some days because you knew, you knew, right? He was going to lash out and, and cause something. So it's just one of those toxic environments where it really is one of the best stories that I've ever seen and was fortunate to be a part of is the resilience of a human being because, you know, two years later to be the best team in the world at that age level and break records and have records that still stand today. Um, it, it really shows me what we're capable of as human beings. Mm. But talk about the the long-term impact that going through that kind of trauma, you know, how it affected. And, you know, I, I love, I'm interested in knowing like, how long were you on that team with that coach? And then how was it transitioning into a different team environment, a different culture, a different coach? Was it like, Oh my gosh, this is so much better. Or was that kind of the the culture throughout kind of the, the league that you're in? You know, the, the, the tribe that we had in Swift current was, was awesome because we had been through something together. We knew each other's pain. So we, we very much supported each other. Um, almost through all the chaos family, like environments was actually something that you didn't want to lose. Right. And, and the small community, right? Like all the kids that were the same age as us, like it was tight. And, and so when, when everything ended there and I had to go and be a part of another team, I really struggled because they didn't know my pain. They, they couldn't connect to that. They knew my story, but because they had never been through it. So, you know, to watch me struggle and, you know, Joe, in the sports world, people can become very judgmental and you get labeled and, Unfortunately, you know, I had the label of, of being a partier and somebody that didn't work hard enough. And, you know, the management always used to say, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? Mm. You know, no, nobody ever said, uh, how can I help you or what happened to you? You know, it was just that judgment of you're screwing this whole thing up. You're going to ruin your career. And that's not what I wanted. But you can't say that you're struggling with those things as a professional athlete because you're out the door and the next one's in. So so you hide yeah, that's a totally all too common thing in that kind of profession. I mean, I know I dealt with it. It's all about performance on the field. They don't really care about you as a human. And it's fascinating how it's all connected in the work we're doing now, like realizing if you can really show up and empower these guys to work through their own fears, their doubts, their beliefs, the, the stuff they've been through, it actually can create a lot better performance on the field, but you got to treat them like humans first. What, um, the rest of your career, you're playing, you're dealing with this. You said you, you dealt with, you know, the pain and, and the nightmares and the PTSD and you turned to drugs and alcohol to help, you know, navigate that. When you went through your career, how did that affect your playing? And, and why did you finally decide what was the like actual transition? Okay. I, like I'm done playing hockey. Was that a, an abrupt thing? Talk a little bit about that tr- actual transition from the sport. You know, it, 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 it was definitely hard you know, growing up as Bob, the hockey player, right. From the time I was eight years old, I was always introduced as Bob, the hockey player. And I I had uh, a really bad back injury, my second one at 26 and, and was told that I shouldn't play anymore. And so was kind of forced into retirement at 26 years old. And, uh, it was probably the darkest time of my life. You know, I was newly married. Um, the depression was, um, at its worst, you know, I, I still have journals, uh, at home of, of talking about how I'm going to take my life, how, you, you know what I mean? Nothing is good enough. The easiest way is just to end the pain. 
Um, and, and somehow I, I didn't, you know, and I, I think, you know, I just didn't have that courage to, to pull the trigger, um, which I'm thankful for. Um, and it was, it was really interesting. You know, we had those different moments in time where we, we kind of wake up and, and I had, um, I was bartending cause I didn't know what the hell else to do. I had no education and, uh, the team that was in Hershey, Pennsylvania had just won the championship and they came in and a bunch of young kids were, you know, snapping their fingers at me and telling me to get drinks and didn't know my background. And, you know, they had the cup on the bar and I turned the cup and I pointed to the, you know, the year of the championship. I'm like, I was on that team and they, and it really motivated me. And and I went back and played three more years. You know, I got my ass in shape. I went back and played. Um, I didn't know why, because I didn't really enjoy the game, but it, it gave me some sense of, um, yeah, it's something to I was a good hockey player, man. Yeah, I could play, right? Like I was a great player. And um, if I could just get back to doing that, maybe I could find the joy that I had felt like I lost. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like so many guys, it's like that they, they don't know what else to do with their lives. They're like, I wish I could play forever because this is what I made for. And it always comes to a moment where we have to let it go. Um, so you went back and played. When was it? you know, that going back and playing, when was it like the the decision to finally walk away again? And is it like the slow thing of like, I don't know how much longer I can do this, or it's like, I'm going to keep trying to do this till the wheels fall off. You know, I, I really didn't have a plan. I just felt good that I had accomplished that, you know, being able being told that I couldn't play and then going back to play and playing as well as I was playing. Um, I, I played three more years. I got into coaching, you know, I thought maybe that would be the transition for me is to get into coaching um, my last year, uh, I was in Anchorage, Alaska. I actually got the head coaching job up in Anchorage and I got fired after 12 games. <laughs> what was and, that? Um, you know what? The team wasn't winning. Um, the owner and I kind of didn't see eye to eye and, you know, um, it, it just caused some problems. So he, he fired me. Um, you know, this really taught me a lot about positive attitude because at the end of that, I could have been very angry. I just moved my family, my young daughter at that time up to Alaska. And we were frozen in because once you get up there after a certain point, you're not getting out. So I was very positive with the press, you know, like this is the job. I knew that coming in wasn't working out. Well, the owner was so impressed with the way I handled it. He says, well, you just retired from playing last year. Why don't you come back and play? Oh, wow. I'll pay you. I'll pay your coaching salary. I'll pay you a playing salary. And you can still kind of run the team because the guy we're bringing in, he doesn't really want to be here, but that's what, okay, whatever. That sounds great to play in with the guys that I was coaching, which was really difficult. That is an interesting story. I've never heard of <laughs> happening like that. So how did you handle that? Uh, you know what? It was good. The guys were really good. They understood. Um, you know, again, I think when we can manage our ego, that's what I really, you know, kind of pushed out of the way. It's like, let's do what's best for, for the, for our family. Mm. Um, but yeah, five games into it, I step up and hit a guy, his skate kicks me in the jaw, um, slits my face open, you know, breaks my jaw, cuts me for 30 stitches. And, and here I am out. So in a matter of six weeks, you know what, uh, I've gotten a head coaching job. Then I got fired. Then I break my jaw and, and it was, you know, I wasn't going to go back to that mindset of, you know, the depression, it's like, okay, let's just fight through it. Let's just keep going. I learned how to fly during that time, you know? So here I am flying around Alaska with my jaw wired shut and I can't talk and, you know, having to carry pliers and losing 30 pounds. And I just, 
I think that's when I really learned that it's my life and I can control, you know, every aspect of it, regardless of what hands being dealt to me right now, let's just stay positive and move forward and make it work. Yeah. I mean, wow. You've been through the ringer, man. And you know, it does come to a point where all these things show us who we are on a deeper level and being able to see them as the lessons and the growth that they, they allow us to have. Um, and you know, just the challenges you've been through, I just, can't imagine myself having to, to, to go through that and live through that. And especially with this underpinning trauma that you've kind of right. navigated. And it's so easy to be like, why does this shit keep happening to me? But obviously the resilience is there and it's developed a lot. How, that underpinning kind of trauma, like how impactful, I'm sure it's still a part of your story, but how and when did you start looking at that as a deep story of how you were interacting with reality and when did you start working through it and, and kind of working to heal that and move it? Or is it something that you're just always going to live with? You know what? It was about 2003. So I had retired in 2000. I said, that's enough. Um, I wasn't feeling pain anymore. Really kind of lost the motivation after, you know, trying coaching and losing. And it's like, okay, well, let's go do something else. Um, moved back to Pennsylvania where my wife's from and, and was watching a HBO special on soldiers. And they started talking about this thing called PSD, uh, PTSD, you know, it was the first time I had ever heard of it and they're describing, it. I'm like, Holy shit, that's everything I've ever been through. And so that right away got me hungrier to learn more. And, and so I just kept, you know, reaching out to people and reading books and listening to whatever I could, um, and I started to find little pieces of myself again, you know, it just, you pick up that little tidbit of information. It's like, okay, that, that's, that fills a hole, right? Because there's all these holes in you. Um, it helped me kick down the walls that, that we build up as athletes because, and you know, Joe, I mean, how many true friends do you have versus all the people that just want to say, I know Joe, right. Mm-hmm. And want to hang out. So you don't know, you don't know if you have any real relationships. And I learned that when I retired, Everybody that, you know, wanted to be around me when I was an athlete, all of a sudden was gone. Yeah. You know, I dealt with that big time too. And I'd love to dive more into how you navigated that because I think one of the most challenging parts for me that I wasn't really prepared for is like, obviously everybody knows like, oh, your identity as an athlete is wrapped up. Be careful. And I always remember being told like, you know, football is something you do. It's not who you are. And I always told myself that I'm always like, yeah, like, and I, I feel like I was more of an awareness of that than most guys. And that's why I was really surprised that when I was done playing, I was like, oh shit, football was definitely a bigger part of who I was than I gave it credit for. Like it was easy to just couldn't have just tell myself that story. But when I, my final year and my eighth year in the league, when I decided to walk away on my own terms, it was the, it was like, like during training camp before the season even started, I was dancing with this for like a couple of years. And I think every athlete at some point when it's a grind, they're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then they have an off season they recover and they go back in and like, okay, I'm going to go back out. And so it's a lot of lip service, but then I was really like, okay, how much longer do I want to play this? And I was engaged at the time. And I told my fiance, I was like, you know, I, I think this is gonna be my last year. Like I'm done. And how unsupportive she was of that because I realized in that moment, like her identity of being a football player's wife and the money and the fame that comes along with that, she didn't want to let go and realized like, wow, this is my decision. I feel unsupported. And then even my parents, like my dad asked me like, why? Like it was the first question is like, why would you do that? And I'm like, why? Like what? And nobody understands what goes into actually playing at that level and the challenges and the difficulty. All they see is the big, big, big paycheck, the fame. Everybody loves football players. You know, they think we show up on Sundays and that's it. And I was just really fascinated by the people I love the most that I felt 
should be supportive of my decision because it's my personal decision. Couldn't really handle it. And it actually created a lot of distance. I ended up breaking off my engagement was not just because of that. There was obviously a lot of foundational issues there. Um, But with my parents, it really created a lot of distance. And there's a lot of my own internal stories around that, that I've been able to work through and heal. But that's kind of the reason I ended up giving away all my stuff to charity. And like, I wanted to know who I was without all of this stuff of the world saying who I was. And I went and traveled and it was like this very isolating experience, but I wanted to go experience my own freedom. And I just think that's a a big piece of the puzzle that a lot of people don't really see. So how did you navigate that yourself as far as when you first walked away and decided like, I have to look at my identity and and know who I am so that I can show up and people understand who I am on a deeper level too, without this thing that I've been so attached to for so long. You know, it, it, it's such a big part of the journey, Joe, you know, when, when you commit yourself to being the best at anything, you, you dive in wholeheartedly and, and you don't see a lot of things that are going on. And well, you, you turn a blind eye to a lot of things that are going on. And, you know, then you get to that point where all of a sudden it's just you. And, and I don't know how you felt about it, but I, I really struggled to be in my own skin, you know, to be comfortable with myself was, was very uncomfortable. I always needed someone around. I always needed to be a part of, you know, the minute I had to sit and quiet, it was just like extreme torture. Mm. And it really was the love of my daughter. When my daughter was born, that was my aha moment. It's like, okay, I'm responsible for this new little human being. You got to get your shit together. And so that's what really, you know, drove the bus for me for, for a long time. And started to find the answers and to become a better human being and to, you know, rediscover myself. Because if I didn't do that, what, how was I going to be able to support this young person that we made the decision to bring into this world? Mm-hmm. I didn't want her seeing me struggling with alcohol and drugs and, and being, you know, up and down and depressed. And I, I needed to find the answers. So she was really my motivation. And every day I got a little more comfortable and, I started to recreate my identity. You know, who am I? I'm, uh, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm smart. I'm funny. Uh, I'm, I'm compassionate. I'm caring. Um, you know, I'm focused. I'm determined. You know, all these different words that I never really thought of myself in because, you know, growing up in sport, Joe, you, you just don't think of yourself that way because then you're egotistical, right? And, and it wasn't until I started to see that I, I had all these different values and characteristics that were really powerful things that I had learned in my journey of becoming a professional athlete that, that I could use, right. It wasn't that I could write things really well, or I was really smart to, you know, in the oil business or something. It was that I had the the things that people can't measure. I, I had the strength of character that very few had, and, and I needed to use that f- to my benefit. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Cause I think it's really easy when you first get done playing or like, well, there's not really a lot of transferable skills here. Like I was one of the best in the world at keeping a guy from getting from point A to point B. I, right. like, I, could be, I guess I could be a bodyguard, but then if a guy had a gun, he could just shoot me. Like what, what good is it that I can really get in the way or even move somebody out of the way? And then, but the more you start thinking about what did it, what did it take on a deeper level to get you to that place? Right. It's the, the character, the intangibles, the discipline, the mental toughness, the things that got you to where all the other athletes couldn't make it. And it's so funny. Cause like, 
lot of athletes like, Oh, I wish I, oh, I would have made it to your level if I didn't get hurt or I would have made it to your level. Right. If this didn't happen. Or if my coach didn't like me, well, trust me, all of those things happened to me too, but there was something special about my ability to question the stories, question who I was, the mental toughness and being able to like tell myself a new story and like not showing up to training camp and being so fucking miserable that I didn't want to be there, but being able to be positive anyway and show for my teammates and work together. Like all of these things that got me to where that level are very special. And I, I look at everybody in the locker room, you know, and my, my, my old teammates. And like, I remember sitting there towards the end of my career, like every single person here has a story that of overcoming adversity of, of handling a challenge. And that the reason they're here is because they're a very special character that got them there. I didn't, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, look at that athlete. I wish I was just that big and strong. And it's like, I see a guy that's gone through so much challenge and he made it out the other side. And when we focus on that, that is so rare, like being in the real world. Now, most people don't know what real challenge is or how to push themselves. Right. And it's really quite fascinating. It's an awesome experience, not at the time, right, Joe? I mean, it, it had to be painful and uncomfortable at different times in your career, I'm sure. Mm. What um, what are some of the places you 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 know you had your daughter and you're talking about? Oh, I need to I need to shift some things personally in my life. Mm-hmm. Where did you find the tools? Where did you find the help? Where did you find the support? What was that journey like when you first like I need to clean my act up and figure out who I am and what I'm here to do on a deeper level? You know, it it was really interesting how it came. The first thing is the awareness, right? Like opening your mind and and as athletes, we become very closed minded as far as how the world works and well, they're going to want something from me. And, you know, we're just not very trusting. So to kind of take those blinders off and say, okay, well, let's see what the world has to offer. And I'll listen to anything that comes my way. And all of a sudden, you know, one of the first businesses that I started after I retired was a drive-through coffee shop. Mm. You know, we, we built this little building in my father-in-law's driveway with the last bit of money we had and, and found a place to put it. And I'd get up at six in the morning, I'd go study the traffic patterns and, you know, plop this little thing in the middle of a big parking lot. And one of the customers came through and we started a great conversation. Turns out she's trained to be a shaman and, um, you know, talks about all these things that start to fascinate and intrigue me. And we start working together and, you know, now I'm journeying and I'm journaling and, you know, I'm, I'm creating these collages of who I want to be and all these really good things start to happen. Well, that opens the next conversation. And, um, it was just this con- continuum of people coming into my life with messages that I needed to hear but it was me really being open enough to listen to them and and not judge them, but to try them on. And not all of them worked, but you know what? I got what I needed out of the experience. And, and that's what helped me heal to the point where I knew that I could start helping other people. Wow. That's so interesting. So the, the real initial work into like the deeper self work was some customer at your coffee shop, huh? It's like yeah. those synchronistic moments. I love what you said too. It's like the universe is always bringing these, these, synchronistic people or situations or conversations. And until we're open to the magic of allowing that in, like if you weren't open to that conversation, you'd be like, Oh, I don't know what this person's talking about, but being curious about what is, what is this? The universe brought that to you to help guide you on this path. Right. I love that so much. Um, So what are some of the tools and like, you know, obviously being open for that experience, but as far as advice for guys that might be, you know, where you were at as far as being in the struggle and not knowing where to turn, what are some practical things that guys can do to really help them navigate the difficult parts of, of transition from, from athletics? 
I think you said it perfect right there, realizing that this is going to be a struggle, you know, in transitioning, because I think that's what I've been working with a lot of athletes that have transitioned. You know, you go from this high achieving individual, you think you're just going to step out into the civilian world and you're going to be a high achieving civilian. And, and as much as your fame or your name, you know what I mean? Gets you indoors. You still got to prove your value just like as an athlete, right? You got, you got to show that you're a valuable member and not just, you know, a trophy. And so there's a huge process. And, and I think being patient and really understanding that, you know, it, it's like starting um, your pro career, right? It took you a year, two or three to kind of get your feet underneath you. It's the same thing when you're transitioning into civilian world is, this is, this is going to hurt for a little bit. It's going to be confusing for a little bit, having a good solid game plan of where you want to go and really spending a lot of time and putting that plan together. And then what tools do I need to develop personally? Because when you live in an athletic world, like we did, Joe, it's not the real world at all, right? People allow you to do things, to say things that, that don't, you don't get those benefits being just a civilian. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's all gone. And, and and it's a hard transition, understanding that it's going to be difficult. And, and, you know, there's some core components that absolutely need to be put in place. I think having the support group like you've put together, you know, that that network of people that I can trust that have been through this is critically important because trying to do it on your own um, is daunting and overwhelming at times. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest struggles, right? Is we play we play sports and we're a part of a team. We're focused on achieving greatness. We're doing it together. Mm-hmm. We're receiving coaching. We have structure. It's all kind of laid out for us. We know exactly the game plan to get to where we want and achieve success. And then all of a sudden, it's over, and it's like, all right, like you're on your own, and like that's not something you can prepare for. It's like so funny because, uh, uh, you know, getting into this work now, and like, how can I really help? support the transition and I'm trying to like gather as much information through my own experience and others experience and seeing the the NFL and like it's fascinating how there's there was always they're trying to bring people in to to tell us like hey have a plan b have a backup plan it's not going to last forever make sure you're doing these things educating yourself having another vision for yourself well first of all you you can't allow yourself you almost can't allow yourself to do that because you have to be so singularly focused in such a hyper competitive environment to even stay focused enough to to stay in the game and then there's nothing that prepares you for all of a sudden experiencing that, like, doesn't matter how ready you are, all of a sudden you're isolated and alone. And it's like, okay, well now what, you know, the structure, the routine, you have to like actually show up and do your own to like figure out. That's why like the morning routine is so important because building momentum throughout the day and having these practices to get you out of bed in the morning, but then having to find purpose, something to put all this energy that you had that got you to this level and having something to put, put that into. What is that? Like, what is, um, what is a good tool or practice? Like how do, how do we find purpose outside of sports? Like how did you find purpose and what was that journey? Like, I know it's a, it's a continuing journey. And for me, I've found it. It's not, it's not such a rigid process. Like purpose is very fluid. It's like, what am I being called to do now? But I think that's a huge issue that guys face is like, who am I without this thing? Yeah. And, and you're the same person, right? Like that's the thing is no matter, no matter where you go, there you are. And I think, you know, people, well, if I could just get traded, right. As athletes, if I could just get out of this environment, it'll be way better. And then you go there and it's like, shit, it's the same thing. Mm. And, and as we transition through life, we're always hoping that the next thing is going to be the thing that changes us. And it's really us realizing that we're the ones that are going to change us. And when we take that power and understand that I can be who I want in any situation, 
but I got to figure out who that is first. And I think that's the first and most important step is getting yourself whole, right? Where I'm comfortable in my skin. I believe in my abilities. I know that I can take on different things. That's what kind of starts that ability to really find your purpose. Because if you don't know that, you could have missed your purpose three times. You know what I mean? Because you don't have that awareness because you're not, you're not in the moment. You're, you're worried and, and acting out of ego, which is just. Yeah. You're constantly searching for the thing that's going to give you purpose. But if you don't know who you are, you're trying to fill a void that's going to keep leaking. Right. And you got to fill those holes up. That's such a beautiful analogy. I love that. Let's talk about the work that you're doing now. Um, obviously, you've had all this experience and now you're, you're really passionate about, you know, kind of bundling it up to share with athletes in this community and kind of share the experience and the lessons that you've gone through. Talk a little bit about, you know, from your transition, doing the coffee shop, getting into the self-development, uh, working on yourself and now where you're at now. Mm-hmm. You know, the purpose and you, and you bring that word up, it's so cool. I thought my purpose was to be an NHL hockey player. Right. So, okay, well that didn't work out. Okay. So now, now my purpose is to be a, a, a coffee giant. Okay. Well that didn't work out. And, and then I'm going to, you know, do hockey pro shop. It's amazing how we're given the things at the time that we're ready for the things. And what happened for me was uh, I was coaching some young kids at the time. I started to teach these principles, these characteristics, you know, it's about patience. It's about, you know, being a good teammate. It's about having clear goals. It's communicating. So all these things. And I saw the effect that it was having. We were winning championships. These kids were achieving great things. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop coaching. And this is what I'm going to go do. And, you know, for the last 13 years, uh, I've been working with athletes and coaches and parents, and that's led into businesses and, and schools, you know, teaching that if we can have these core sets of values and characteristics and, and have that, you know, uh, awareness in the moment, this is what your life can look like. And, and it's just been an awesome journey working with athletes who are getting out like you and I have struggled with Joe and, and how, you know, holding their hand and, and, and really kind of guiding them and preparing them for things, but then being there to support them, I think is, it's, it's so purposeful. Um, I, I couldn't imagine that I would be doing this. I'm so thankful that this is where my life has led me to because I've never done anything that's been more impacting, rewarding and fulfilling than, than what we do now and in helping people find themselves. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. So to dive into the, the actual company you have now, what it does mm-hmm. and, you know, plug all the things that people can, um, you know, the value that you actually add in, in a little more detailed way. Yeah. The, the name of the company is called I Got Mind and, and it's all around, um, you know, creating that awareness. It, it's through education. We have online uh, courses. We have one-on-one counseling. We have professional services. If you need, you know, some psychological support, uh, you know, just created this whole support network for anybody to come to um, that really can find the answers that they're looking for and become a part of the tribe. You know, um, I think going through Swift Current, uh, I really learn the power of a tribe and not having it at different points in my life. Um, what a troublesome part that was. So, you know, our company is all around creating that. So we've got people all over North America that are part of our tribe and, you know, they're, they're supporting themselves, which means then they can support other people. So it's, um, it's education program, eliminate the ignorance and and get on the path that you want to be on. Mm. And where can people find that as the website? I got mine.com. 
it, it's igotmine.ca. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, we're located up here in Canada, but we work with organizations throughout North America and um, yeah, all the information's on there with all the different programs and events that we have to, to support people that are looking. Beautiful. And that'll all be in the show notes as well. If you guys are interested, I got mine.ca. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about this self-awareness because, you know, with my own company, the heart collective doing a very similar thing, building community. Oh, one, one question I did have about the, I got mine. That's not just former athletes. Is that anybody's can, can kind of get value out of that? Yep. Okay. Yeah, all anybody? different, all different demographics. Okay, great. So go check that out. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I lost my train of thought now. Um, mm-hmm. the self-awareness. Oh, self-awareness, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so building my own community in the heart collective, which is geared just for former male professional athletes, very, very niched. Um, cause I think there's this, you know, when you're creating kind of community, as far as like checking in, it's like this relatable experience, right? Like I want to be able to, if I'm sharing from experience, that's one thing I've, I've found too, is transitioning out of sports like a civilian or a normal person that hasn't gone through that experience can't really hold space for you. If you, if you say you're struggling with something most people look at you like you're crazy, like you're retired, you made a lot of money. Like, what do you have to worry about? And it's just so much deeper than that, you know? And so I wanted to create this relatable experience where if I'm sharing something I'm struggling with, this guy goes, ah, like I, I feel you. I'm going through that similar to me and you're having this conversation. And I've kind of gotten lost in the business of like, how do I get members and trying to grow it. And I I feel over the last couple of weeks, I've kind of lost track of like, wait, 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 like, let me take a step back. What am I actually trying to do with this? Right. And I got down to the, the very kernel foundation is, is help people wake up. And what does that mean? Right. That's, that's creating self-awareness, this metacognition, this ability to think about thinking. And I think as athletes, anybody who's played any type of sports, you have an understanding of there's a time when you, you, you can see a story coming up. Like for example, when I'm in training camp and I don't want to be out there, it's, it's hell hot. Like Tampa Bay was one of the hottest places on earth. I'd go out there and practice my body's so sore. Cause it's three weeks straight of this stuff. And I'm out there and I'm like, I do not want to be out here. But if I would listen to that voice, then I would be, I wouldn't be out there playing, but there's something deep within me that's able to kind of reprogram that say, you know what, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to do my best. And like being able to tell myself a new story. And that's what we're trying to get to is this metacognition and be able to teach that self-awareness where you are not your stories. You are not your trauma. You're not your experience. You are not the lens in which you view reality that is created through experience and being able to take a step back and see those stories and have an awareness of them. And then you can start shifting them. And I think that's really what, what is needed in the world and collectively right now is just really this ability to improve self-awareness. Like if you show up in a situation and you get triggered or you're angry or you're depressed, it's because of an experience you had that is showing up and affecting that current situation. So share a little bit about your journey with self-awareness and like that, that awakening moment and how you go about through the content that you're providing um, and the business that you're building um, is that like the base foundation of what you guys are trying to do? And obviously there's a, like everything stems from that, but talk a little bit about that journey. It, it's such a, it's like a DNA strand, right? Like all these different things are all connected and twisted, but it does start with that self-awareness piece and just understanding who we are, why we are this way. And <clears throat> Joe, I'm sure if we got into a really cool conversation, we could go back to some times of, of what happened to you at specific moments of your life that did alter the path, right? Because that's what happens is things happen to us. Something has happened to everybody. Mm. And, and it causes us to maybe veer, um, you know, our brains become wired a little bit differently and, and that changes our future. 
and and having that awareness to understand that okay this is what happened to me and and here's where you know the road that I decided to travel and now I'm at this moment where I don't want to travel that road anymore now I'd like to maybe think about looking at this sort of thing to have that awareness to realize what you've been through has actually made you um you know better because now you've learned what not to do or maybe what more to do we get so wrapped up in future thinking and past thinking that we forget to be here right now, because this is when we make the decisions is right here, right now. Mm. You know, we're not making the decision and a half hour from now or three weeks from now, I've got to make that decision right here. So just having that awareness that the more I can stay right here and, and the better I can feel about that, it's going to change everything because I'm going to make better decisions. I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be more focused. So everything that I've been able to use at one point or another in my life, if I combine all those things and just bring them into this present moment awareness, yeah, man, you can, you can accomplish and do things that you never thought you would. Mm, Yeah. It's beautiful. Like the power of presence is, is everything right. Being able to be in the moment you're, you're living out as it unfolds in front of you, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's conceptually, I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like I'm present, but are you actually there experiencing without, you know, the mind racing, telling you something, thinking about the future, regretting the past or uh, some kind of unconscious patterning that's showing up that you're not even aware of and being able to be present is so impactful, but it's, it takes work to get there, right? It's, you can't just be like, oh, I'm present because I'm here sitting down and I'm because I guarantee if you sit down, this is why meditation is such a powerful tool. If you go sit down on a meditation cushion and you find stillness and you try to count your breath to 10, I guarantee if you don't have a solid practice, you're not, you're not going to make it to 10 or you're going to make it to like 17. I remember when I first started meditating is like, like, oh, one, two. And then like, next thing I know, I'm like 17. I'm like, wait, what? How did I get to 17? Because I just lost in my thoughts, right? And that's, that's the self-awareness because we don't realize that until we can like peek behind the lens of what the stories are, we, we, we are the stories. We think we're the stories because we think we're the mind racing. And it takes a lot of work to really develop that capacity for self-awareness. And I think a lot of people, even when they first start meditating, I know this was the case for me. And I'm really grateful that I actually got into meditation because uh, I wanted to be proactive about my head trauma. And I remember seeing some research about like brains lighting up and monks like their brains and accessing higher levels of awareness. Like, Oh, this, this is neurogenesis, neuroplasticity. This is a way I can protect my brain from dementia later on. So I'm really going to stick with it. But if I didn't have that, then I probably would have stopped doing it because it is so challenging. And I think a lot, the story is a lot of people are like, Oh, I can't meditate. Or I try to meditate, but my mind races too much. It's like, Oh, well, there you go. The noticing of the mind racing. That's the point of meditation. Right? So what are some other like practical tools that that people can, you know, write down in their notebook right now and say, if you really show up and implement some of these practices, it can help you improve your self-awareness, help improve your presence and actually help you feel, you know, a little bit lighter and a little bit more um, grateful for the experience that we're having rather than getting lost in the the story of life that can really get in the way. Well, I, I think you bring up so many good points there, Joe, you know, they are our thoughts, right? It it is our mind. And and that's the thing that we have to control first and foremost and realize, you know what, it's not what Joe said to me that pissed me off. It's my inability to control my emotions that actually caused me to be pissed off. Mm. And, and, you know, just recognizing those little different things. If you're not feeling the way that you want to feel, ask yourself the question, why am I feeling this way? 
And, and what am I going to do to change this feeling? So that stops it right away where it brings you back into that moment is when you recognize that you're not acting the way that you want to and just asking yourself the real simple question, okay, why? And then what are you going to do about it? And so we start to learn how to solve our own problems. Um, you know, journaling is one of my favorite things. And a lot of people really struggle to journal like they do to meditate right? That's just you talking yourself out of not using a very valuable tool. I can't meditate. You're right. But I also know that you can meditate. <laughs> it's a choice that you're making in that moment. So, you know, the thing that we've learned about, you know, becoming healthy and, and balanced and, and the person that we want to be, it takes a full blown commitment. And if you're using the words can't and won't, then, then you're probably not going to get there. So you have to be very aware of the, the language that you're using with yourself. I love, and, and I see it work with everybody. If you can have that positive affirmation, that thing to remind yourself of why you're doing the work or, or the worth of yourself, you know, the, it's just fantastic how it helps. Mm, yeah. The just repeat order. it. Right. When, when you're getting into that place, Joe, you know, right. Your world is busy and I'm forgetting what my purpose is, but all of a sudden it's like my focus determines my reality. Mm. That's my kind of mantra. The minute I'm starting to drift off your focus determines your reality because my focus is not in, I've got to dial it in and that's going to determine my reality. And that's what I use to remind myself. Um, the thing I found that that's more valuable than anything, Joe, is, is having that inner circle, that tribe that you can trust to be able to communicate with, because you can't do this all on your own. Don't think that you can, um, you know, that's just your ego at work, get those close knit people that you can have those conversations with to ask for help, um, to share your stories. Joe, I don't need you to say anything. I just need to vent a little bit. Would you mind listening for the next 20 minutes? Cause I got to get this shit off things like that. Just they, they change your day and ultimately they're going to change your life. Mm. And that's what I love coming back to the power of presence, right? Is even when we hold a conversation with someone, a lot of us constantly are thinking about what to say next. And we're not actually just listening and hearing. And there's so much healing power. A lot of people are like, how do I change the world? I want to change the world. It's like, well, okay. The only way to actually change the world and heal the world is to first heal, heal ourselves because there's so much power. And if you can become present and actually be with somebody and listen to them and that energy that you're emitting and they feel heard and seen, they're able to process that energy and like literally let go of it. And there's just not enough of that. Right. So it's so, so important to find a tribe of, Hey, can you listen to me? I just want to, I just want to talk. I don't want advice. I don't want you to try and fix me. I don't need to hear how I'm doing it wrong because everybody knows like there's no secrets out there. Everybody knows what they need to do, but they just don't feel supported or seen or heard when what they're going through. And maybe they, they feel isolated and alone. If you're like, I see you, I hear you, like you're not alone. It's, it's valid. It's okay. There's just so much healing power in that. Self-care is, it, it, it's, um, it's absent. It, it's one of the biggest problems that we're seeing, especially during this pandemic, Joe, is people don't know how to take care of themselves. Hmm. You know, and, and all of a sudden now they're being forced to take care of themselves. Like, I don't, I don't even know what I like. I don't know what I'm, what makes me happy. I don't know, you know, what I love. It, it's causing them to evaluate, evaluate everything. And what we like to always say is, you know what, you are the most important person in your life. And if you're no good for you, you're not going to be any good for anybody else. So let's stop focusing on trying to help everybody else for a while. And let's start focusing on just helping you because the better you get at that, the more value you bring to everybody else in your life. Beautiful. 
Yeah. As we, uh, as we come up towards the end of the conversation, um, you know, I ask everybody, um, and I'd love to get your perspective and, and hear your thoughts on, you know, what, what's your vision personally for yourself and what you're creating and what's your vision for the collective, for the world and what you want to see happen as far as, you know, change and, and making the world a better place for all. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I spend a lot of time with that, you know, every time I'm in the car drive and that's exactly what's coming up. And, you know, for me, it's to be able to support all the people <clears throat> that I possibly can in my lifetime, you know, with this information and, you know, what, what's the ripple effect or the butterfly effect of that is that, that it does change the world, right? What, what I got mind and what I want to do is I want to be a beacon for hope, for, um, you know, discovery, for self-care. And, and if I can do that really well, and I can pass that on to everybody I come into contact with, and then they do the same, it's like the old head and shoulders commercial. If they tell two people and they tell two people, you know, all of a sudden you've made a difference in the world. And, it doesn't need to be as difficult as it is. And that's the thing I've learned in my life is I created the majority of the struggle. And now that I've learned some things, um, I can live the life that I want to live. And that's my goal is to be able to help other people realize the same, because if we all take responsibility, Joel, for our own lives, um, think about what a great place the world would be. Be a lot more enjoyable, right? right. <laughs> I mean, just thinking about, like what a world would be like if we could all just like love ourselves, love each other. We have so much, so much technology and just like everything we have access to. And it's just, we, we haven't evolved into that yet. We just, we're, we're, we're such a primitive culture and society when the world is really asking us to evolve and step in this way, step up in this way. And the only way we can do that is not by projecting how bad the world is outside of ourselves. It's like, how can I make myself, and clean the lens in which I view reality so that I can see the gift that is right in front of me. Just the, the ability to take a breath in the morning and the opportunity to be alive. Right. You know, some people aren't so lucky. And if we can come back to that, that gratitude for the experience of life and really kind of simplify things and not get so lost in what life needs to be like, but just being like, Oh, wow, I can just live and be here now. And it's just such a beautiful experience. I think it's cool. You know, we, we talk about the attitude of gratitude and, and by no means do we think that you can go and live and every day is just happy and joyful. We, we need to have the negative emotions. I need to be angry and pissed off. I need to go beat the hell out of something. And, and it's my teacher used to say, it's a law of opposites, right? I have to experience the bad times. So I know what good times are, mm. right? If you, if you think that you're going to live a life where it's all just good times, that's not realistic in, in you know, your, your vision, there's going to be struggle and it's okay to cry and it's okay to be pissed off. That's mm. part of life. We don't want to deny that. Just realize why you're doing it and, and make better choices as you go through it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know if everything's always good, how do you know what good is? if it's not in relation to something else. Right. And that's the whole what? duality that we live in. Right. In order to have an experience of something, we have to understand it's opposite because it, if there's no relation, then there's no experience of it, which is really fascinating. It's a little esoteric topic there for you, but any I final know. words for the listeners, any final piece of advice, um, you know, especially for former athletes that might be listening, um, you know, might be struggling with their own transition, finding purpose. What's, What's the last little tidbit you can offer them? Yeah, I, I think for our brothers out there, Joe, that we know that are struggling with stuff, man, it's uh, reach out, 
Um, if, if you're in that painful place, just understand that you don't need to stay there. Um, there is help out there, but it all starts with you, you know, putting your hand out and saying, I, I need some help mm-hmm. because there's lots of great people out there, uh, you know, like Joe and, and like our organization that are more than willing to help guide you to where you want to get to. So don't isolate, uh, you know, don't think that there's, there's no way that you can get where you want to go. Um, there absolutely is, but you, you're the one that's going to have to take that first step towards it. And I'll even add too, like if you if you feel like you haven't had a really traumatic experience or you feel like you're you're kind of figuring it out, but you're not really like struggling, like imagine the support of other people that, you know, you can you can accelerate. You you can not maybe you're not getting the most out of life you think you need. It's it doesn't need to be this like painful experience where you hit rock bottom in order to reach out. It's like we're all in this together. Like I, I feel like I'm really kind of found my, 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 my mold and my, my success. And I feel like I'm really like on my purpose and path. And I have like three communities and small groups and men's groups that I'm a part of because there's so much power in feeling seen and heard and being able to express myself. And as we clean that energy out, just by sharing with people that can hold space for us, like we can continue to find deeper and deeper levels of awareness and being present as it unfolds and not doing it alone is really the whole purpose of life, right? The experience of other and having relationships and not feeling isolated and alone. So really appreciate you, Bob. Um, wow. What a, what a journey you've been on the, the experiences you've had. I uh, really appreciate you opening up and being vulnerable. Um, I'm, I mean, I just feel like the heaviness of the things you've been through and I just to, to see where you've gotten and how you've alchemized all those experiences into this offering that you've created. And I know it's, you know, talk about gratitude, right? Like when you really reach a place of gratitude, you can have gratitude for all of these challenges because it's gotten you to where you are. So you have this experience where you can offer others and really help send those ripples out into the world like you were talking about. So I really appreciate you, man. People ask me all the time, you know, that's a, that's a fucked up story. You know, (laughs) would you do it again? And, and I think I blow their minds when I say I absolutely would, because Mm -hmm. it's made me who I am today. Beautiful, man. That that says a lot. And we all have our own unique story and everybody's got these experiences. Um, Any last, uh, or where can people find you? I don't don't know if you're on social media. I know you said I got Mm mine.ca, but is there anything else people can reach out for you and find what you're working on? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, there's so many social media channels. I know, that, it's like, uh, what's going on? If you if you Google "I Got Mind," um, you'll find us. And if we can help in any way, and and Joe, I'm so thankful uh, for you allowing me to come here and share what I've learned on my journey. And and I look forward to working with you more in the future, Matt. Yeah, brother. Thank you. And if you're listening and you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave a rate, review, share it with your friends, um, especially those former athletes out there that might need a little bit of support. Uh, we are definitely not alone in this thing. And so if you know somebody, uh, definitely share this with them and really appreciate you, Bob. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. My brother. All right. Huge. Thank you to Bob. Really appreciate him coming on, opening up, being vulnerable on the show today, uh, and the value that he added. I hope you had an impact on, on your life and you got value out of it. I know I did go check out. I got mind.ca and, um, reach out to Bob directly to see what he's working on. And, um, I know I've been on his site. I'm actually going to go through one of his courses myself to check it out. Really amazing man, really amazing story with a lot of value to add. So go check that out. And if you like this podcast, please rate it, review it, share, share it with your friends. It goes a long way in helping me grow the audience. Um, I think that's it. Until next time, love y'all.